Hey, welcome to NFP. This is episode two, and I've got Colin here with me today. Colin Rec.eth. I almost said Rec.eth again. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks very much. It's great to be on. Colin, I want to just get this right in the beginning here and just say this. I want to thank you for your support and your guidance in this new realm that I've just been in for a few months here of getting into uh, NFT art. And you've been invaluable in terms of your advice and uh, your support. So I just want to say right off the bat, I really appreciate that. Yeah, thanks very much, Darren. I, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, I, I think one thing that is cool about NFT art is so many of us are both collectors and artists. And it's it's oftentimes, you know, in traditional art, in a traditional art gallery, it's pretty clear. If you walk in and you're scrubby looking, you're probably the artist. And if you walk in in a suit, you're probably the collector. Uh, but we all kind of wear all the, all the different hats. And uh, one of the things that I know other artists, Second Realm, Jay, uh, all of us do behind the scenes is help onboard people. You know, people, mm-hmm. people come to us with just basic questions. How do I do this? How many uh, additions should I, should I issue? Uh, how productive should I be? You know, these kind of questions. And we try to guide them. Uh, honestly, I wish there were somewhere that was, well, I, how to say this, it'd be nice to be able to monetize that, right? Because there's a lot mm-hmm. of demand and I spend, you know, my screen time is 15, 17 hours a day. And a lot of that mm-hmm. is just interfacing with new artists like yourself, which is cool, but it's unsustainable, right? I can't, I can't do that for the next two years in a row. So it, there's sure. going to have to be a little, I don't want to say a centralized mechanism, but um, I think the platforms themselves are going to have to be better at reaching out to people on Insta, for instance, and, and making that that bridge. Okay, here, get your MetaMask going. Okay, now tool up with a little bit of ETH, you know, get your credit card out, and the steps that you had to do to get to the point where you could start making money off uh, your art, and in your case, you know, basically quit your job money, which is sweet. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, I'm not there yet, but that's that's the goal. Yeah, no, it's, I actually, it's great. I, I mean, I, I don't know if you knew this, but I actually teach full time. Okay, okay. What do you teach? And then? I do the writing with Coin Telegraph, and I'm doing the art. So it's yeah, my schedule's pretty full. What do you teach? Is it related to mostly crypto math? Or? Mostly, mostly math. junior high math. Oh, cool, man. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so awesome. that's my main gig. And well, yeah, so all we were talking is just gravy. This is just gravy. But so before you before we started actually doing this thing uh, live, I think we were talking a little bit about sales and and where you were going with sales. And I I wanted to bring up it's sort of self deprecating, but sales change a lot and it's stunning. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I love about crypto art is we can directly sell to people that that like the art. There's no intermediary. But back in the middle of summer, it was no problem to get a quarter ETH for a piece. I mean, in right. June, July when it was hot, you could drop something and within you, you could almost count on it. On, on it being there within an hour <laughs> and yeah, now yeah. trying to get 0.05 or one ETH. I mean, ETH has changed price a lot, but uh, the market just, just changes a whole lot. So I wanted to admonish you that, you know, if you're, if you're filling your fridge off crypto art, you know, some, some months it's going to be, uh, uh, you know, you're going to be eating veal and some months it'll be ground beef. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. I get it. Uh, you know, there is a part of me where I got kind of spoiled because mm. I was fortunate to get in at a time where there was a frenzy. Right. And I was like brand new, zero experience, you know, in crypto art. And right. People were buying my stuff. And I was like, whoa, this is amazing. Yeah. You know, yeah. and. Uh, 
Well, you were cool it's, because it's you had this bona fide. You you had this sort of bona fides in crypto already through the Coin Telegraph thing, right? Sure. You sure. weren't just that a helps. brand new artist popping on the scene. Hey, uh, you know, you you people knew you from that, and then you had the Robness connection. So it, you really rolled into it uh, nicely. And you know, when you start out, you have this kind of new car smell. And and artists really should capitalize on that, but not count on it lasting forever. Sure, of course, definitely. Well, let's talk about you. I mean, when I look at your work, you're all over. I mean, NF NFT showroom seems to be your main home. Am I correct in saying that? Uh, I'd say I'm equally right now on ETH and NFT showroom. When the gas prices drop low, I, I tend to go more for ETH. Uh, I think the royalties there in the long run are going to be more. Uh, I, I don't. I don't have an opinion on Hive really as a blockchain. I just like that NFT showroom has a cool mix of people and it's uh, it has a very steady um, bunch of collectors. So even when ETH is bouncing around, going up high, going down low, people are chasing ETH pumps uh, on Hive, work is still moving. And actually, the reason I like NFT showroom, it reminds me of the early days of Rarible where uh. it's kind of low stakes, You know, it costs less than a buck to mint, Throw it out there, throw it on the board, and you know if you don't like it an hour later, burn it, move on to the next thing. If I do that little thing on ETH, make it, don't like it, burn it, I'm ten or fifteen bucks, you know, down. If you do it on Hive, sure. it's like a dollar, and so it's it's a nice forum to experiment. Uh, but but mm. I think in the long run, if you really, you know, I think a lot of what we're doing here in crypto art is setting ourselves up for the future with this royalties piece. You know, a lot of people don't yes. think about that, but that's a lifetime income, right? Even if you take what Robness did as an example, he let out a hundred free pieces, right? Those, those old nineties discs that he let out hundred, 200, whatever it was. And at the time I kind of thought, man, he, he's really being generous to the community. I thought it was all <laughs> a charity play. Well, it turns out he kind of let go on that trash talk thing. That was, that was a royalties play, man. Get it in a bunch of wallets cheap to nothing, let everybody trade it around at 0.1, 0.102, whatever, tiny little amounts. And then eventually they, the value grows and you basically have this sort of ecosystem, right? You know, sure. hundred coins, 0.25 each, you know, it's, it's this, it's this some small cap <laughs> piece of art at that point. So it's kind of sure. cool. Like the royalties play, I think a lot of people don't think about it. They try to maximize what they sell it for. And I think ah. the, the wiser people just try to get it into the right wallets, right? Like if, if I've got a Matt Cain or a Lucho that's interested in a piece of mine, I'll slide it to them gratis. Like maybe a little bit of money just so there's something on the blockchain to show that it wasn't, you know, free, just have some idea of value. But if I can get it in the right wallet, that's worth far more to me than getting the 0.25 and then it goes to an anonymous wallet and sits forever. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you've had a lot of experience in this scene. I mean, you've been part of the trash scene, you know, that's part of your background too. So uh, I was going to ask you about that. I talked yesterday to second realm. Oh, awesome. About, I need yeah. to, I need to catch that. Yeah. Second realm. Yeah, he's yeah. a great guy. Yeah. And we talked about uh, the whole copyright thing and there was this controversy with what's his name. It's a bit boy. Oh yeah. Right. Bit boy. Yeah. Putting a logo on it. That, and other than that, no alteration whatsoever, basically just throwing a logo on it. Right. There was a lot of people that were very upset about it, and there was equally amount of people who were like, "Well, I mean, that's art, you know. Like, look at Salvador Dali putting a mustache on Mona Lisa. You know what I mean?" So, yeah, my think? legal analysis, my legal take on that one. I mean, you probably know I went to law school. I practice practice law in California here. 
Um, my take on that, I, you know, t- I took copyrights in law school, so I, I, I've, and I've written a few things in Medium. I think that the transformation in that case wasn't really that substantial, right? He, he used this, right. the same kind of card, all that. It, it, he didn't change it in a way that was fundamental to me. But the rub there is it was kind of parody, right? If he was actually mm-hmm. making fun of Lux, saying like, you know, these cards are, are they're kind of weak, you know, so I'm just going to slap my logo on it and make it look exactly the same just to make fun of you. Then you have a lot of rights because that's First Amendment stuff, right? So if I want to, if I want to copy the Mona Lisa to write an article bashing it, it's totally fine for me to reproduce the whole thing or any copyrighted work, reproduce it and point out the parts I don't like about it. Similarly, I can make my own work that makes fun of it. Kind of like, remember that Demi Moore pregnant thing? And then they did yes. the, yeah, they did the, the piece where they were they put the guy in place. If you do something like that, you can change almost nothing. And, you know, if, if you, and if you make it funny, it counts as parody and then it comes in. So there's a there's a history of that from a funny history from Two Live Crew. They did a remix of Pretty Woman, and the guy I forgot who Orbison, who did the original Pretty Woman, said, "No, I'm not going to give you the license." And they said, "F it, send it out anyway." And they did, and it sold a quarter million copies in the first year. Outsold outsold Orbison, and so it, the court came in after that. You know, it all went to court, and the court said, "It's it's good. It's parody." When you're doing a parody and making fun of something, it's going to look a lot like the thing you're making fun of. That's kind of just the nature of parody. Uh, but it has to be clear that that's what you're doing. In their case, you know, they turn the pretty woman thing upside down. And it's like pretty ghetto woman sort of thing. In the case of mm-hmm. BitBoy and Lux, you have to look beyond it. You know, the totality of the circumstances. Do they get along as artists? Are they buddies? Was it like a pseudo collab? Or was it more like what I suspect that he's making fun of him? And then if he was, he's got a lot of First Amendment rights, at least in the U.S., you know, maybe not around the world. But in the U.S., there's a lot of rights to comment on work. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the problem is with that, if you are a parody artist, which some people would call me, you don't want to slide into satire because that's not protected. Make Taking a Interesting. work. Interesting. Tell me like, about the distinction. So, like, what, what Cointelegraph did with the Dolly piece, let's just pretend for a second that the Dolly piece is protected, the dripping clocks, uh, I forgot what it's called, uh, unsubstantiated time. Memory. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, so let's say it's copyrighted. When they did their remix of it, they weren't necessarily commenting about Dolly's piece, they were just commenting about crypto art, society, reusing it as kind of a, a, a meme. In that case, it's going to not be parody. They're not making fun of the original piece in any way they're just repurposing the piece uh like if you took uh-huh. the simpsons and put them in porn or something like that right you're repurposing the original but not commenting on it that's not okay that's not going to be protected by the first amendment and, and parody law so yeah it, it's a little bit complicated but i i think my answer to what bitboy did is it's all good as long as he's making fun we're protected to do that so it seems to me like there is a bit of a, a quagmire there that an artist can walk into and get themselves in trouble with no sure. intention of doing anything malicious. Yeah, that's true. And Crypto Tanya kind of had that happen to her where she remixed Miss Al and the next thing she knew, all these bitter old crags in the community were sending her the equivalent of death threats. Like ENS Domains saying like, I hope you die. Kind of, I mean, really nasty stuff because she remixed Miss Al. So yeah, if you cross that line and an artist thinks that you've taken too much from them, uh, it's bad. I mean, I have this history. I don't know how far you go back with with my art, Darren, but I did a remix of a Josie back in like February, March. Uh, Yeah, it was before my time in crypto art. 
Okay, it was it You're was talking a really, Josie Bellini. Josie Bellini. It's a really cool Josie. It was like a twelve artist collab. It's the one where the the um, subject of the piece has VR glasses that come down. I took it, copied it frame per frame, made it black and white, uh, cropped it, and and put the Pope in place of her. Right. Uh-huh. So in my mind, legally, we're all good to go because it's it's parody. I, at the time, I was kind of. Uh, I, I I was shocked by the amount of money these pieces were going for. Now I'm paying that amount. But at the time I, was, <laughs> I came in, I was like, these GIFs are going for a hundred, a thousand dollars. This is insane. So I wanted to kind of make fun of the whole thing. Um, and I, I did the same thing with an X copy where I took an X copy skull, uh, the doomed piece and put a banana on it. Uh, so both those were not very well received by the community. At the time, the idea of doing remixes and repurposing somebody else's crypto art hadn't really been done a lot and okay. i was i was uh, now josie has me blocked uh you know x copy and i a little bit of a weird relationship super rares got me blocked like there are many members of the crypto art community that will have nothing to do with me because of that history so uh you know just to i'm not happy about it i'm not proud of it if i had to, to do again i would have contacted those artists before tokenizing right and at least given them fair warning like in the case mm-hmm. of osinachi here's another example I took Osinachi's bird and put it in an aquarium, made a remix of his piece, and it was it sold for 0.25. Wizard X bought it. It's, it's one of my more viewed pieces. I contacted Osinachi by Twitter and said, do you mind if I uh, tokenize this remix and showed it to him? And he said, no, please don't do it. And I wrote back and said, I'm sorry, I'm going to do it. Like I just put too many hours into it. I thought if I thought, it's okay, yeah, no, it's I was not too bad. I wasn't really asking permission. I was more just uh-huh. giving him notice. But I, you know, it's better to ask permission. And and we ended up mending that bridge. You know, we're friends now. Uh, but at the time, I just I knew that I had the legal right to make the remix. I was commenting on his original. It was about you know being a gallery artist and how I think that's confining. Um, and yeah, it, it was it almost didn't fly. Uh, no pun intended. so it seems to me like what i've noticed with a lot of the trash art movement is there's a constant kind of pushing of boundaries there's a constant experimenting with okay what's okay and what's not okay yeah yeah. and then say okay but why why isn't that okay you know uh you care to comment on that yeah i mean i think all of art does that whenever somebody publishes a blank white NFT, right, and calls it something strange. I mean, we're always sort of pushing the bounds, um, and I see. I think we see that in NFTs a lot. You know, there are people trying to use NFTs to sell cannabis. There are people that are trying to sell their journal magazines by NFTs. There are you know a number of mechanisms, but yeah, I mean, the the original sin, so to speak, was getting the, the toter kicked out of Super Rare, right? When Robness's toter, yep. they said this is not good enough for us, and they kicked it out. I suspect it really wasn't a copyright thing. I mean, I think everybody has this idea that they had like a copyright lawyer team who's looking at garbage cans going, oh, this is this could be infringement. I think it was more that they were like, we're too cool of a gallery for photo mosh trash cans. Like, you know, you know, super it's kind rare. of beneath They're, them. It's sense. beneath them, right? They're very hoity-toity. And I think they use the copyright thing as maybe just an excuse to for why. Because there, uh, you know, there are many things, there are many remixes on their site a lot of what miss al does sure. is remixes right i mean the uh, it her art by nature is collages of remix things right and that's it's huge on super rare so um i don't want to get into their intent i don't i can't speak to it 
but that was the original sin. And then we've always played with that ever since. I mean, some of the earliest cans that Jay DeLay and I did had a copyright symbol in the bottom spinning and dripping with paint, uh, things like that. I mean, we've always kind of made fun of the idea uh, and and it was and it mostly is because of this original sin of the toter, but I think it's also just because um, crypto art tends to be kind of a like open source movement, right? We're really all about open source decentralization. Uh, we tend to not like middlemen and gatekeepers and things like that. Uh, so I, I think it fits naturally. Totally, yeah. Well, and you, you, uh, you. I know I noticed you're not just an artist and a collector, but you're also a writer. I've seen you do a lot of writing on Medium. Yeah, the medium I like. Some people don't like medium because it's centralized. They'd rather go on scent or something. I like medium because it's easy for people to go to. They get five free articles a month. So if you don't hit it up too much, it's basically free. And I try to do things on medium when I feel like I've answered a question in DMs like three or four or five times, or I've seen it come up on Twitter a bunch. So then I can just drop the medium article, right? It's, that's kind of like one of the things nice about art too. Uh, your art is portraits of people. So I don't know if it works so much. Mine is sort of commentary sometimes, like a piece of poop with a mint sticking out of it for like mint that shit. And so it's fun because I can go around Twitter and talk to people and drop art, right? Instead of a whole thing about like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if you just drop an image and move on? And if it's if it fits, it's it's like perfect. It really can hit sometimes. So sure, uh, it's the picture worth a thousand words. Old uh, ex- yeah. exactly, exactly. Totally. Tell me about this. Um... You know, I was looking on your Rarible. You have a ton of like dot crypto. Yeah. Uh, so d- domains were how I got domains, into NFTs. Yeah. Like basically this time last year, I discovered that there are these things called ENS domains. So I can get colindire.eth or in my case, rec.eth. Uh, you know, in your case, you can get decline.eth. Uh, it, it, people get these different domains and you can use that instead of the long OX thing. So you can be like, hey, yeah. just send my funds, send me NFTs. I get NFTs in my wallet every, you know, a couple every day. People that I don't even know sending them to me, I guess they just know Rec.eth might promote your stuff if you send them. Um, so the ENS domains are cool. I got into those. Then I got into um, these things where you make a decentralized website linked to the ENS domain. So it's a .eth .link. And the cool thing about those is... Um, when the person goes there, there are images. So that was my first time dealing with sort of like tokenizing images because you get this .eth.link. Let's say it's um, bcash.eth.link. And when they click there, you want them to see a big Roger Veer with a middle finger, right? So you set that all up and you associate that image with that NFT. And then a- around December, about two weeks forward, three weeks forward from now, uh, I just started actually doing crypto art. But yeah, I've I've always been into the domains. They're um, really high risk speculation. Art most of the time sells. Domains most of the times don't. But when they do sell, if it's somebody that really wants it, or in the best case scenario, two or three somebody's, the prices can get pretty high. Uh, so uh-huh. I, I don't dabble in domains too much anymore, but I still have a big, a big bag full. Uh, and, and okay. they do sell every few days. Uh, you know, I had Hulu.eth sell a few days ago. Um, Parlor.eth was a good profit turner from a week or two ago. So things like that kind of fund me right now. Like right now, I'm not working as an attorney. Since this quarantine thing started, I quit with this firm I was working for. Um, and so my all of my anything I get from you, say, for instance, is either funded by art that I've sold of mine or art that I've flipped, right? I'm not going to the ATM and putting money into this thing. So 
that's why Rarible, when, we've talked about this in DMs, when sales go south, they go really south because it's oftentimes the people like me, these kind of like artists slash collectors who are doing the collecting. And if our art's not selling or the stuff that we've collected isn't flipping, there's no way we're buying new stuff, right? And that's what we've seen in the last week or two with uh, all the coin movement, everybody wanting to hop aboard the rocket ship. You know, they don't want to sit on a little crypto art anymore. So uh, things got dumped. I did, I did it. I dumped a crypto punk for two ETH just because I wanted to get on the on the punk. And now I'm looking back and they're four ETH and I'm like, oh, that probably wasn't smart. <laughs> but, Talk to me about this whole art of the flip. I mean, you've been doing this for a while now. What's, what's your technique? Well, I, mean, you, I mean, my technique when is... When I look on Rarible, I'm, I'm going to ask you in a second, but yeah. when I look on there, there's such an overwhelming amount of stuff. How in the world would I ever pick something that I feel is going to be a good flip? I mean, I, I never woke up one day and was like, I want to be an art collector. It really just started with the trash art thing and we were all riffing like trash art started like the best way to picture it. I think is like a room full of people who weren't comedians, you know, like a room full of you and your office workers. And then you just decide we got a few hours or a night free or whatever. Let's start doing stand up comedy. So you all start doing it and somebody gets up and they riff on Pence and the next guy riffs on Trump or Pence, you know, and, and it goes around the room and everybody develops their craft while doing it. And then, and then we would buy each other's stuff, you know? So say you hopped up there and did a, a stand-up set that was really cool. I'm like, okay, I got 0.1 ETH on that. I want to own that set. That's a good one, right? And that's how it essentially happened. And Yelly was collecting my stuff. Um, Second Realm collected some of my stuff. Jay collected some of my stuff. It wasn't like Whale Shark was hanging out in, in Rarible picking off the good stuff. So it just happened that I had a wallet full of good stuff because when I would sell my stuff, I didn't necessarily have to cash out and fill a fridge or anything. Right. And before the money ever made it to Bitcoin where it should have gone, it would find its way into new cool art. I mean, right. When you sell something for 0.05 and you're like, Oh, that's cool. I sold it. And then you see your buddy's thing. That's 0.03. That's cooler. It, it's only natural that you acquire that. And you feel like, well, I've come up, right. I gave up one of mine cost me nothing to make. I got 0.05. And in addition, I got my friend's piece. So it just was a very natural evolution. I, I think a lot of us are doing it. Uh, you know, Stella Bell uh, interviewed me as a collector the other day. And I, I honestly identify much more as an artist, although I think I probably make a lot more noise as a collector. <laughs> but okay. being an artist is much more fun. The collector part, it's, it's a weird existence as a collector. When Big ETH hits my wallet, I'm like, oh, shit, this isn't good. Right. It means something big sold. And usually when Big ETH hits your wallet, you're like, yay, party time. When Big ETH hits my, if I turn around and open up my MetaMask and there's two ETH in there, I'm like, uh-oh, oh no. <laughs> something because like one if something you really liked is gone. Something is I saying? really like sold. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, I actually have had that feeling about a couple pieces where I was like, oh, I didn't want to sell that piece for that much. You yeah, know so what you I know mean? what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. And, yep. and the opposite happens too, where you want to get something. So you've got that yep. ETH loaded in the barrel. You get it, you know, get the buy order in. Like the other piece you got for 0.05 the other day. You're probably thinking, well, you got the second to last. But imagine that was the last one, right? You'd have some anxiety about clearing that money, getting it out of my wallet right now. So when I'm collecting, there's nothing I'm happier than seeing than a big stack of ETH turn into nothing because I know in exchange that art made it into my wallet. As far as the art of the flip, I, I don't really, I, I wouldn't advise people to treat art as an investment at all. Like I love art and it's probably 
a little bit of a problem. Like I probably have a little bit of a, a compulsion about it. it, and it, and I'm not profitable on every piece. I mean, to give you some numbers, if you look on Super Rare, it's four million dollars in primary sales, right? So of the ten thousand works they've sold, they've made about four million bucks. Secondary sales is one million. So I think everybody mm. thinks that secondary sales is this giant pounding engine and primary sales is just kind of this little lawnmower that feeds it. It's the opposite, right? The, the pounding engine is the primary sales. Secondary sales, you know, many times you put a price on something and it just doesn't move. And now that's yours. And so I try to be emotionally invested in a piece. I never try to buy a piece just because I think I'm going to be able to flip it. It's got to be a mm. piece that if I look at it in my wallet, I'm not going to be like, what did I do buying that? It's gonna. It's the feeling is gonna be. I'm proud to own it, and even if it's nobody a stain else sees on your wallet. <laughs> yeah, no, I have a few of those wallet wallet stuffers. I call them. Um, but yeah, I want I want it to be something that I'm emotionally connected to, and even if I have it a year from now, uh, it, it's something I'm happy to own. And, and and in that piece, there's not just the NFT. Oftentimes, there's a relationship with an artist that strikes up, like you and I, right? First couple mm. NFTs, it's just like a business thing. Uh, but then after a while, we get to know each other and it becomes a bit uh, uh, we're like colleagues in this art game. And so uh, I have that kind of relationship with a lot of different artists. And it's really a, it's, an, it's an austere pleasure. There's nothing more I like in life than than goofing around with crypto art online. I mean, the, the cool thing, Darren, is that we just cut right from ideas to, to monetizing them. Right. Like mm -hmm. if I come up with a cool meme instead of going through this whole thing of like, Oh, I'll put it on YouTube and try to get a million hits and then hope YouTube's going to pay me. And, you know, maybe they will, maybe they won't. I just put it right up on Rarible right now today. And if a buyer finds it, we make that connection. And it's just, it's like that you're monetizing ideas, right? How cool is that? Like, that's it's just, awesome. it's awesome. And a lot yeah. of us in the field are, are, are thinkers, you know, I'm like, if I'm not talking to somebody behind the scenes about a specific piece, we're talking about crypto art generally and where this thing is going. Like, I think advertisers are coming and it's going to get kind of gruesome. Like I think in another mm. six months you may be ordering at Burger King and they're going to be like, Hey, can I scan your phone for a free NFT that unlocks, you know, blah, 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 something that you might want. And you know, there's going to be a crush of people coming into NFTs, but right now, and especially the last six months and especially like back in, February, March, April, we, we were all just testing out this stand-up comedy thing and testing out our chops. And a couple of us, like Second Realm is a legitimate artist. He's been an artist for years. He's got a brand. Like me, I just, I, I've, I goof around with copper work in my, in my, uh, my garage and stuff, but I'm, I don't identify as an artist outside of crypto. So do you do any physical art? Yeah, I do copper work. So I, oh, uh, copper. Okay. Yeah, let's see. You can see a couple pieces behind me over on the wall there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. So it. that one that's framed is a copper piece, uh, and then those the letters I did. I've got a big sun in my kid's room. I don't want to pull the computer up and go show you, but yeah, I've always done metal work. Like in college, I belonged to this weird gang that did uh, that put together bicycles, freak bicycles, tall bikes, long bikes. Uh, Chunk six 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 was our our what we went by, um, and so I've always been into metal art. Lately, I haven't been doing much steel. It's been more copper. Copper is an easy metal to form with your hands. Uh, you can cut it with shears. So it's kind of a, it's not as hardcore as working with mild steel where everything's got to be grinding and welding. You know, copper is a little more like, 
it has properties of paper, right? Where you can you could use a, a bent surface to bend it a certain way. Uh, and yeah, I, I like the copper work, copper soldering, but I've never sold a piece. It's purely mm. just me goofing around. Just enjoyment. Enjoyment. Yeah. Crypto art is the first time I've been able to make money off art. And I mean, it's shocking. I looked at my rareable volume. I think I've put between buys and sells something like 4,000 ETH through rareable. Wow. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's, I, I don't remember where I saw that stat. It may not be right, but I saw it pop up on one of these, you know, rarity.finance sites. And I was like, yeah, that, that might be right. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of volume. Yeah, well, it's it, it's a good site. I mean, it's it's a little spoiled now with all the fees. The, the great proposition at first was no gatekeepers, no fees. So anything goes. And and we used it to, to sort of incubate trash art, right? Trash art wouldn't have happened on OpenSea. There's just too much axes and all this other stuff you know it, it would it would have gotten diluted but it, it really got a chance to start on rarible and then i think a lot of people saw what we saw about the platform you know it's got buyers uh it's got an easy interface it works great on the phone um you know alex and those guys did a nice job my hat's off to them yeah totally i, I, I it's wish the platform i, the I started on just because it seemed the easiest to work with yeah, yeah. And how most do you, intuitive, you know? I don't mean to turn this back around, but how do you compare your experience on Rarible to your experience on your new gallery, Known Origin? You know what I love about Known Origin, and I was saying this to Second Realm the other day too, is what I love about new, Known Origin is the gallery experience. When you go okay. on a Known Origin and you want to look at art, they really focus on t- slowing down, like you look at one work of art and you really mm. admire that work of art and that art takes up your screen. And yeah. then you sl- scroll down and you look at the next piece and you go, Oh, I really like that. And maybe you click on that artist, you know, and there's, it's more like walking through a gallery sure. and looking at art. Yeah. Um, whereas Rarible has kind of that thumbnail kind of vibe to it where it's just kind of, it's a it's barrage. Like a- it's like a fire hose of art that you just have to like try to right. take a little sip off if you can. Yes. Which is cool too. Yeah. But yeah. in terms of being visible, I really like the known origin platform as an artist yeah. making something and knowing, and I was saying this again yesterday with second realm, knowing people are going to see it hours later. Yeah. As opposed to rareable seconds later, right. it's gone. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? And so then I admit, I definitely show my art a lot on Twitter and, and telegram and i'm out there posting oh i did this piece and i made this piece and i made that piece uh whereas with known origin i feel like okay people who are into it they'll go there and they can see it do you know what i mean yeah so i really do like that open sea i've kind of come around to when i was first doing things i I felt like rarible had an easier um experience but i really like the open sea environment too yeah they all have their advantages you know? They they do. And and you know, everybody's in it for the love of NFTs. I mean, the funny thing is there's all these beefs, and I'm sure you're starting to see the different polarizations. You know, uh, Some people have a real problem with Trevor Jones because at one point, mm. two years ago or something, he said something derisive about Photomosh. Well, you know, I know Trevor. We talk behind the scenes. He, he is in full support of Trash Art. He's in full support of people using Photomosh. He loves the idea of somebody taking a garbage can and onboarding into crypto art through that. So, I, you know, that's a total false uh, characterization. But there is this sort of, you know, Mag NFT and Jimmy and Whale Shark and those guys. They don't seem to dig on Trash Art. And they, they were the ones that came up with the term in the first place. Uh, and that was, a, that was a point I made during Trash Talk that... I was actually really proud of that point that, you know, 
there is an American history for taking terms and turning them around. So like right. the Yankee Doodle Dandy thing where that was the Brits calling us that and then we adopted it. The N-word, the same thing, right? It's gone through the same transformation where the community who it's used against uses it themselves and and, and repowers the term. And so that right. was that was what happened with trash art. They I think the whale shark said at one point, you know, it's it's not their ETH and it's not their something, you know, the blah 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 is about and, and the art is trash. Uh and so I think it's cool because it's definitely a responsive movement. If you're going to say anything about trash art, it's that it responds to stuff. It responded to Robness getting kicked out, and it responded also to people taking the art and criticizing it, taking it and taking it, you know, not only out of context, but just, you know, like the, the semi-Jesus I did, the Jesus when the semi is like, you know, the, that Jimmy took that, put it on scent and said like, Look at this trash. Like, can you believe that the right? And and in a way, we could have we could have shied away and we could have been like, oh wow, the the gods of crypto art don't like us. We should just go hide back in our shells. But it did the opposite. I mean, it just fueled us. It was like, it was like, A, look, they notice, right? Like it, that was that was take it's taken for granted. But when I was collecting trash cans back in like February, March. People, there were a lot of people that were just like, I will not have anything to do with Rarible. I don't know about it, or I just won't have anything to do with it. It was a, it was this little redheaded stepchild platform. And now it's the top of OpenSea's volume, but for a long time, it was in real obscurity. Um, and so, yeah, it was to have them not only, not only call us, like identify us, say that they're looking at this stuff and call us out. It, it just, it just fueled our fire even more, man. It was, I mean, it was just well, throwing there's gas power to be, there's power there where you don't let that ridicule get under your skin and instead you embrace it. Do you know what I mean? Like not right. taking oneself too seriously. Right. Right. And, and we all saw the, this hip hypocrisy behind it. Like, uh, you know, some of those guys in that movement that are really hateful of remixes that I've done have themselves done remixes and they say, oh, you know, I'm remixing classic works. It's different. And, uh, you know, I say it's it's no different. Like the law doesn't say anything about like, well, for dead artists, you can do this. But for living artists, it's not the same. You know, copyright lasts life of the artist plus 70 years. So somebody could be long dead and the art could still be protected. So, I, hmm. you know, that's one of the things that we've really done with rareable and I don't know if it's going to change now with this BitBoy thing, but is, is validate the remix, right? So when I did that initial Josie, when I did that initial X copy. I think there were a lot of people wondering, is this crypto art? Does this count? Like it, or is this just junk? And I think now the, the, the community has weighed in that like remixes are cool. Remixes are okay. And even if the original artist doesn't like it, as long as it's a, enough of a transformation, you have the right to do that. Right. And and so if you want to take and try on a Hackatow style, try to make a figure like a portrait with tattooing all over it. Right. If six months ago, nobody would do that. Nobody would think of doing that because it would be it would be taking something that wasn't theirs. Now you've got Sourcraft. You've got uh, Second Realm, you know, a number of people making it. I did a Hackatow trash can. Right. So the, the remix is is back and is alive. And I love that. Mm -hmm. That's that's to me, that's awesome. See, now I'm coming from just total novice angle here. And I feel like, hey, if someone was remixing, I don't know, say my zombies, I'd be like, cool. Like, you know, yeah, there's I mean, a status element to that, that someone was interested in in my work and was playing with it. Totally. So it usually does bring up. I don't really feel that it's a problem. 
Yeah, it usually gives more visibility to the original. I mean, even if the remix is kind of a pot quality, crappy remix and you don't like it, it, it usually has the effect of putting more eyes on the original. And, and my big thing about art is, you know, I don't think art really has a lot of, um, it's not like Bitcoin where it has this inherent value, right? If you ever get really broke and need to get rid of art quick, you find out that it, the, the salvage value of art is not that great. Right. You can buy it. I mean, try it. Buy a piece for 0.5 sometimes and just relist it for 0.5 and it might not sell. And then you ask yourself, like, was that a very good idea? <laughs> right. So uh, it, it, getting rid of art can be difficult and trying to trying to get the value out of art can be difficult. But, um, I, you know, it's a long I, I think, game, though, right? It's a long it's game. And I, I think, like I said, there's a connection with artists and there's there's an opportunity. Like one of my favorite pieces of my collection is this Miss Al that's a year old. And it's uh, – I'll show it to you. But I'll give you a link here. and you, Well, I don't want to get distracted. But the point of it is it's formative work. It doesn't look exactly like the stuff that she's doing now, but it looks like an early version of it. And when she mm-hmm. sold it, I think she first sold it for like 30 bucks. It was when she just started in the game. And then I bought it from the guy who bought it from her, I think for an ETH and a half. And it's, and I, I believe it's worth much more. So, you know, take an artist like you, right? I've been able to get some of those pieces and maybe in a year you'll be the next Miss Al and all have been there to get those formative pieces, right? That's a cool opportunity to me. And, and uh, it doesn't mean I'm going to be able to buy, you know, an Oscar in a trash can from you and turn it around for an ETH the next day. That's not the game, right? It's, it's developing a relationship with the artist. Write an article about why I like the artist. Tell other friends, this is why I collect them. Like, put the prices where I, you know, not where I think it's going to flip right away, but where I think it's, it shows the community the value. Uh, so, yeah, and I, I think your journey has been a really cool one. I've, I've, I've really liked watching you, Darren. It's been, it, I think you should write like a, a book or a long article like my successful journey into crypto art because any other artist would, 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 be lucky to have the success that you've had so quickly and so smoothly, like right without a lot of like, um, you haven't rocked a boat too much. Nobody, nobody, you haven't remixed somebody who has been mad at you or minted two things in a row. And uh, you know, you, you, you generally had a really good onboarding experience. So I think people would like it. Thank you. I yeah. really appreciate that. I did have a bit of that funny situation where I accidentally minted one onto OpenSea when I first made their storefront. <laughs> and that happens. And I think I was interested in that because that one had the number one on it. Um, yeah. But, you know, those flubs happen early on. And some artists just don't know. I've seen some artists who will mint over on EOS and then there's more activity on ETH. So they go mint the same thing on ETH. And oh, and I and I don't know that they mean it I don't know that they know the rules, right? Because there's no rule book. Like I wrote this mm-hmm. medium article rules for remixing just so we have some foundation for how to do it right because there's no rule book, right? Is it okay to mint the same thing on five different chains? I don't think so. I think the community doesn't think so. But where do I go as a new artist to see that rule? Uh, it's just kind of in the ether, so to speak, right? Um, but if you remix your own stuff on a different chain, well, that's okay. So it, it, it's... It's subtle, but uh, I think once you get the hang of it, it, it's cool. I mean, look at what happens in galleries in the real world, man. They take 50%. You're, if you're an artist in a real world gallery, you're, you're working for them in a very real sense and for free, right? Showing up at gallery events, giving them work, and they're taking 50 sometimes more. In crypto art, what does Rarible take? 
you know, not, not that bad yeah. of a day. <laughs> nope, not at all. Yeah. Well, actually, that really drew me to Rarible initially was the Rarible token reward. Yeah. I, you know, that was something at, at the beginning where you could make really good token rewards. I, I remember the first two weeks or the, so. The first three weeks you I could was buy any. any yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was hardly doing anything. And I got, you know, something like, I don't know, $150 of Rarible. And yeah. I sold $150 worth of art. Yeah. I you think know? people I have like, realized that it's leaning out now. I think people are realizing that, oh, the, these drops aren't quite what they used to be. But yeah, those first couple of weeks, that first month, whew, that was... Uh, that was intense. And the very first one they gave us, they gave us a whole bunch at the very beginning, people that have been using the platform for a while. So mm. that was pretty sweet as well. It, but in a way, the coin kind of ruined the thing. It, it brought a lot of people on the platform that are looking for quick, easy games, yeah. right? Like, pe- mm. and I don't cry Pepe's. I, or I get Pepe's too. I think they're cool. But there's this whole thing of, you know, getting your rare Pepe for point one, trying to flip it for point two, point three that afternoon. And, and that's just... That's such a short game, right? I compare that to like Warren Buffett who says like, if I won't, I won't hold something for 10 minutes unless I'm willing to hold it for 10 years. And I think you've got to have that kind of thought on the art, right? It's probably not going to be 10 years, but I, I try to think more in terms of in a few months, right? Like mm-hmm. when Trump didn't get reelected, I was like, oh, there goes the value of all my Trumps, right? Uh-huh. But I'd already tooled up with a few Bidens in the meantime because I'm, I'm, I'm always trying to think what's going to be valuable a few months down the line like for me all this 3d stuff that they're doing now you know the the wonky boop 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 i think in three months that stuff is going to look other than nadia's stuff not uh nadia's stuff is good she has her own 3d program but a lot of the people that are doing it with the stock programs i think it's going to look uh old-fashioned in just a few months so I, i try to think as a collector about somebody who wants the, the guy who wants to buy out of my wallet, not today, not next week, but like in January, in February, right? Maybe they're going to, maybe after COVID is over, where's the, what are they going to be the pieces that are going to be like, oh yeah, that, uh, that piece right there puts COVID, like it, it uh, what's it the good word for it? Captures it, it. captures, it it. Yeah, captures it. COVID. And I've got, yeah. I've got a Nori Harmon. I don't know. Are you familiar with Nori Harmon? Yeah, I think, I think I've seen He's on super rare. He's he's yeah, buddies yeah. with Robness. So Robness probably brought him yes, up, yes. brought him up okay. with you. He is a, an amazing artist. I mean, his stuff sells for ten or a hundred times less than it should because he's just so skilled. Um, and I had the opportunity to get a piece of his that was uh, like I think it's a, is it a Kayabo? the the famous Paris piece where there's the triangular building in the background and there's they're walking down the sidewalk. He did a version of that. With um with masks and these cops coming into the scene like to stop people mm-hmm. and it was just it cost me too much but to me it was like in maybe a year or two years a collector will want that as as uh, a symbol for what we all went through in the last year so I try to think forward like that try to have more of the long view than the like what can I flip this afternoon view yeah yeah that's awesome because that's emotionally draining yeah. if you get something to flip oh, right totally. away well, I mean, and then I guess it doesn't you could do it purely as a job like that. Yeah, I mean, purely analytically. Yeah, yeah, and the analytics are funny that you bring up because you could employ, you know, you could get AI. I mean, law firms employ AI and these kind of people to to determine which cases they're going to go forward with. So you could imagine a collector in my position employing, uh, uh, you know, Google's AI or something like that to try to figure out which pieces are going to be the 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 best investments but again like i said earlier i don't see art as an investment i mean i see it as a bit of an emotional investment in the piece in the artist but i'm not putting in point one 
and then you know telling the wife, okay, here we go, point two in a week. I guarantee it. Like, nah. The the one the one thing I have said is kind of a rule because because artists will ask me what can I do to get you to buy my stuff like I want to get your attention mm-hmm. I want you to buy my stuff and I just tell them my thing is if I can sell your piece for about two x in less than about two months I'll be back and, and so there are a few artists that do a great job you know Albi Glowing Finger um, anything by Quasimondo there's uh, uh, Jay Delay a number of artists who that equation works great for. And so I'm constantly going back to their gallery. And then what happens is the Yusimon Suryanto effect where they start selling out of my price range. Right. Uh-huh. And, and, but that's sweet for me as a collector because now I'm sitting on a few old ones and I can match those new prices with my old works. So I'm always happy right. when somebody, and you'll probably do this. And in a few months, I probably won't be able to afford your art. But that's fine because Let's I'll be hope. sitting on enough early work <laughs> to be able to price it up. I mean, right, that's, right, right. it's just the, it's the direction successful artists go. You know, you get some, a body of work out there. And as long as you're not too productive, uh, there's just a lot more people that want art out in the world than there are people that make art. That's probably my problem. I get obsessive about it. I end up producing too much, probably. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and and <laughs> I have said I, I love it. I just I've said on Twitter before stuff. that it's not good to be too productive. Uh, you know, like I don't collect a lot of Robness. <laughs> I love Robness's art, but I don't really collect a lot because he produces so much. Um, but you know, other people have pu- pushed back. Uh, Nori Harmon uh, said that was nonsense. He said, you know, in this crypto art world, there's there's the scarcity thing. The scarcity piece isn't really that important. Um, so I think there's I. I I tend to think of scarcity as important, but not everybody does. And you see these guys doing 50 runs and 100 runs. <laughs> yeah, I stay away from that. I mean, I even kind of feel bad when I make like a fiver. You know, I, I you know, I just I feel better with singles. I feel yeah. like there's something, you know, in terms of it's a gratifying feeling to have someone buy that one piece. It's true, you know? but there is this thing this like idea of a cabal of collectors where say you see a piece come up you don't know if you want to buy it. What are you going to look at if it's a multi-ed? Who else has it, right? And who else has bought it? Not just who it was gifted to, but who else has bought it. And if I see that Moderats has one, or El Castor has one, or you know, Quasimondo, another you know really good artist, if I see some of these prominent wallets have it, that may drive my decision to get it too, to become part of that group of collectors who owns that piece. Um, so yeah, this guy, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Cow Arama. His first name is CAO and you'll find him that way easily. He's in crypto art. He is big on the idea that if you make a multi-ed, it can actually get more valuable than a, a single edition mm. because of this network effect of people wanting to join that group of collectors that own the piece. Right. Interesting. Like a peer pressure almost. Yeah, kind of. It's 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 like yeah, you want to be in the club, you know. Do you want to be in the cool kids club? And so that's yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so so yeah, I, I I don't. I tend to make mostly one of ones myself because, like you, like you're saying, it's cool when you match a good one of one with a good wallet, and you're like, boom, yeah. done, right? They yes. they'll you know the other day I hodl uh, bought that minted poop piece of mine. And I thought, okay, good. It's in good hands. Right. I didn't, I didn't sell it for much, but he's really good at promoting work. 
Uh, and I've had people say that about me where they're like, you know, I wouldn't say this to anybody else, but I'll give it to you for half price because I know you're going to promote it. And, mm-hmm. and so that's, th- th- it's a fun ecosystem that way because we don't all have to go pay Amazon for promotion, right? We, it's organic. It's like, uh, you know, when I see something cool, I tweet about it and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, totally. and then we all start tweeting about it and it, and it gets traction. And so, yeah, yeah Twitter is a really, uh, that's an important piece. I mean, for me, I've got my Rarible window, my OpenSea window, and my Twitter window, and they're all completely yep. necessary. Absolutely. Yeah, I've got them all running all the time. Yeah. Telegram. Don't forget Telegram. <laughs> yeah, there's Telegram. There's Discord. I don't tend to go into those because I like the fact that on Twitter, everybody can see what we're talking about. Yes. And so if there's an artist out there who's too shy, they don't want to chime in, they don't want their buddies at work to see that they're into this weird crypto stuff, they can still see what we're doing, right? If you're back mm-hmm. in a Discord or a Telegram room, uh, you know, even if it's a, even if it's like a, the open chat in Discord, you're still not as out there in the open as you are. You're sequestered away a little You're bit. sequestered, right? On Twitter, you can literally get to tweets by Google searching. So like, yes. I, I like that. It's I like powerful. that. It's a powerful it, tool. It's super powerful. And you got to be careful because if you say something you didn't mean to say, even <laughs> if you delete it, it's out there forever. It's gone. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Hey, let's talk markets. Uh, I don't know if you're into this you know, yeah. side of it, but yeah. you know, uh, I like to ask my guests, uh, what do they think? Where do they think things are going? And right now being that we're heading into December, you know, I'm curious what you think in terms of where things are going for Bitcoin, Ethereum towards the end of the year. I mean, I see Bitcoin going over 20 again pretty easily. Uh, I'm a little bit more interested in the ETH action. You know, I, I don't, uh-huh. a lot of people look at the Bitcoin price and the ETH price. I look more at the ratio, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've been there when it, when it took 50 Ethers to get a Bitcoin. Uh, and, and I think we're probably going, you know, now we're somewhere around 30. I think we're going in a direction where it's probably going to be 20. So that's going to be an ETH valuation up in the high hundreds, closer to a thousand. Uh, and I just well, think it has that because- kind of lagged, hasn't it? It has kind of lagged behind Bitcoin's growth. So it has some- Well, like on the- correct Over the past six months, I think Ether's performed better. I think, okay. I, I think Ether has roughly doubled or so in the past six and Bitcoin's gone up 50%, something like that. I, yeah, I, I think, I think Ether, right. uh, generally Ether performs kind of like silver to Bitcoin's gold. You know, Bitcoin right. goes up a little, Ether goes up a lot more. And I, I just see all this activity we're all doing in Ethereum, right? And, mm-hmm. and the fact that in 2017 when I was around, if you wanted to get Ether, you had to get Bitcoin first. Now you don't have to do that. Right. You can just onboard yeah. right into Ether. So... I, I think the, I think that ratio is going to just be plunging lower and lower and lower. But I think while it's plunging, both coins will be going up in value. So I tend to think it's better to hold ETH, but but I like to hold both because I mean Bitcoin is there's no ceiling, right? That's the cool yeah. thing about it. It could there just isn't. you could wake up one morning, it could be fifty grand, and you're like, oh, all right, well, I got what I got. <laughs> That's yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> so what's your guess if you had to? If I had to like force you to guess a prediction for the end of the year for Ethereum, where do you see it being? Shoot, I don't even I don't even have my KuCoin window open now. What are we five fifty or five hundred or something? Yeah, I, I can, mean, I, 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 I think. ETH has been 300 for a long time. When I first got into crypto in 2017, ETH was about 300. And ETH was about 300 what just just a couple months ago. So mm-hmm. I yeah, I would right now globally. It, it's at 556? Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't count on it lofting too much higher. I would I would say by the end of the year we might see 600, but I think more likely we'll probably see a relaxation closer to 3. 
uh, hopefully not falling back all the way to three. So my end of the year, if I had to put a number on it, December 31st, I'd say between 450 and 500 in that realm. Okay, so you're a little on the cautious, uh, almost pessimistic side of things. Yeah, I, I think this bull run is over, and I think we're in for another either two-month or two-year or maybe five-year, who knows, bear run. I mean, I don't know if you remember what happened wow. after 2017 okay. when we hit 20,000 last time, but it came down, and it was a harsh come down. It would hit yes. 17, and there'd be a pop people would buy, and then it'd go down. 16, mm-hmm. and there was a jigsaw the whole way down of buyers all the way down to 2,500. So I was there. I remember that. I was accumulating yes. at 2,500. So I wouldn't be shocked if that happens again. Wouldn't be shocked at all. Mm. And the time scale could be years. It could be. See, the- I feel differently. I feel like last time around, that was the, I think the peak was the day the CME launched Bitcoin futures. Sure. If I remember yeah. correctly. Okay. You know? And it's like, okay, so you got futures. And I remember because at that time I was just blogging on Steemit. Okay. I didn't have any writing uh, career. Right. At all. Right. Just writing on Steam. And I remember thinking, this is the end. These futures are going to destroy the price because there's money to be made on uh, shorting it. Right. You know, and uh, didn't happen. It hasn't been the same since. But I I don't know. I feel like now that's kind of been played into it now. I kind of feeling optimistic personally. I think there'll be a pullback. I think we will pull back, but I, I see it going. I could see Ethereum being a thousand bucks by the end of next year. By the end of next year, yeah, sure. I could see Ethereum by a thousand bucks by next summer, but I, I yeah. don't think we're going to see any pump up to that in the in the near term. Just because I think a lot of people I are going to open a, a lot of long term holders are going to open up their ETH wallets in the next month or two and go, "Whoa, five hundred! Right? You mm-hmm. and I are checking the price every day, but That's there are true. a lot of you know." People are less emotionally tied. They're checking it every two weeks, every month. They might not get the news about this pump for another week or two. Uh, so we're going to have a few weeks at least of sellers for sure. Uh, and then, you know, whether the whether the bulls take over again, I, I would like it if they do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> personally, I'm I I'm so much invested in crypto art that if it does go up to fifty grand, I'll be sitting on the ground floor like, uh oh, because art doesn't scale. I've found it doesn't scale with ETH. Things that were worth an ETH uh, when ETH was three hundred are not worth an ETH now that it's five fifty. It right. Some things, Miss Al's, you know, really, really prominent artist pieces, yes, but the average quotidian piece is more tied to the dollar than it is tied to the ETH, in, in my experience. So, are you thinking back in U.S. dollars when you're trading art, or are you thinking in Ethereum when you're trading it? I'm generally thinking ETH, but um, I, I, I kind of think of both. I, I, I really, I, I think of both. Um, <laughs> whichever one makes the trade look better, <laughs> but no, I, I try to think in ETH, but I, you know, I have this inability to hold giant piles of ETH. I can hold a decent amount of Bitcoin, but if I get right. a few ETH and you know, a pile of it, I had a couple of crypto punks I sold for five ETH and I was able to find that 10 ETH into a uh, crypto art pretty easily. <laughs> so I, I, ETH is like spending money and I, I mm-hmm. wish I could hold on to 32 of them, but I'll just end up pissing him away on art. I have to put stuff away in Bitcoin to be, not be able to touch it. Is that your goal? Do you want to be uh, staking ETH when it's ready? Uh, I think it's a smart idea. I don't. I don't necessarily have any opinion on staking in 2.0. Uh, I mean, I I would be more. You know, I, I look at what Ripple's doing, right? And I wonder is Ripple going to start to take over market share? I don't necessarily have the same high hopes for ETH that you have. Although I I look at the activity that's happening on chain. And 
things are good, but I, I also have this feeling that what if gas goes to 50 bucks, right? That's mm-hmm. happened before where it, it went up temporarily. What if a bunch of big guys enter, banks start using ETH or whatever, and gas just goes up to an average of 20 bucks? It's going to kind of kill crypto art. I mean, you it can't would. really, you can't experiment at $25 a mint. So I'm also thinking in terms of where else things might go, right? I've got my collection on Hive, right? I've got a little bit of a collection on EOS. Um, and I, I think there's definitely going to be other chains that come to make noise besides ETH and crypto art in the next six months. It'll be interesting to see Tron. I hate Tron, but maybe Tron will be the one that steps up. Uh, so it'll be interesting Very to see cheap what to transact, right? So. Right, right, right. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see where things go in the next in the next few months. But I, I tend to be an optimist. I don't want to be I don't I don't want to be labeled as a pessimist. But yeah, I think the fact that ETH has been three hundred now for years and we're at double that, I, I wouldn't count on it going a lot higher in the short that term. That sounds like the more prudent, more realistic. I guess I'm maybe being unrealistic. <laughs> Too optimistic, maybe. <laughs> well, I mean, remember, it's, it, it, uh, crypto art. Or, or, yeah, crypto art on crypto is like speculation within speculation, right? The crypto yes. is already a speculation, could go to zero, no book value, no salvage value, right? Nothing preventing Bitcoin from going to zero, no regulatory environment, you know, influence for sure. Um, and then we're speculating beyond that. So it was kind of funny. I think you probably saw it, but Wizard X and I did that collab where we had the, uh, the NFT soup. And instead of like 100% yes. pure uh, stock, it was like 100% pure speculation. Because I think people yes. need to realize that. Like, you know, ETH could start just motoring up to a thousand and people are going to start dropping art like hot bricks. And that's just going to be what happens. And if you're sitting on a big stash like I am, you're going to be sitting on the on the launch pad while everybody else takes off. So mm-hmm. that, there is that risk. You have to keep that in mind. Interesting. Hey, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk. And again, I do want to just express my gratitude to you for your guidance and for your support of my work. And uh, I really appreciate that. So let's stay in touch. Of course, my man. And have an awesome week. And hopefully we'll talk again soon. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate the time today. Thanks Thanks for choosing me to do this. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. All right. Talk to you soon, Darren. Bye, man.